This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager. Joining me, as always, is our pastor of spiritual formation, Reverend Sam Kastesmith. And uh, traveling Sam, uh, you're in the bunker again this week. Is that it? We, we're you've in the bunker. Back, you've gone back to the bunker? Okay, well, it's a good echo-free environment, and the Internet's really strong. But if you hear any drums in the background, folks, it's not, it's not Sam practicing drums. It'll be our worship team in the next room. So That's right. Where they're recording the worship service for this Sunday <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, so uh, if we're if at some point the conversation falls flat, Sam, we'll just open the door and put the microphones right. outside and let them carry the day. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. So uh, right now, our church has been uh, going through a series of messages called "When God Moves," which is on the subject of revival. And so here on the podcast, we've also been talking about revival. This week, we're going to come to Acts chapter two, uh, which is the day of Pentecost, the 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 foundation, the start, day number one of the church in the first century. Um, a lot of really remarkable things went on on that day, but probably none more remarkable than the boldness of the sermon that Peter delivered to them. So Pentecost is actually 50 days after Passover. And so we remember what was going on at Passover. That's the crucifixion. And so at the time of the crucifixion, Peter is cowering. He he denies that he even knows Jesus. He's he does not want to get caught up in this this, this machine that's putting the Lord to death. And 50 days later, this is a radically different Peter um, who's been encouraged. His faith is now you know, a steel beam having come on the other side of the resurrection. What had Peter gone through in that 50 days? So the first, there's 40 days after the, the resurrection mm-hmm. where Jesus is with his apostles. He comes to them in special ways on, you know, he's not constantly with them, but he's going around and he's teaching about what's to come. He's preparing their hearts for a time when he's no longer going to be with them physically present, but he's preparing them for, for his departure and the spirit to come upon them all. And the idea, what, what makes this amazing for the kingdom of God is, you know, if you have one Jesus and he is, he's a physical person, then he can be with a group of people, but, but there's limitations in the fact that he takes on a physical representation of a person. He's only with a set group of people, but what he's promising is, he is going to ascend to reign at the right hand of God the Father, and he is going to send the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, and the Spirit is going to take up residence in the heart of every believer. And so now the presence of God isn't limited by wherever Jesus is walking. Now the Spirit of God now inhabits us and animates us so that God through us, is actually working throughout the globe, and the mission of these apostles is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, transforming everybody who accepts Jesus into a temple of the Holy Spirit so that God's will, God's goodness, God's mission is now spreading to the ends of the earth. And so Pentecost, when the Spirit falls and takes up a residence in the, in the hearts of these believers, this is the beginning of the mission of the Church of Jesus Christ. 
and it is revival. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> uh, you know, because yeah. these guys had been, um, you know, they'd been waiting for this moment. They'd been waiting for for him to send the spirit on them, and and that was a unique thing too. Because I know that whenever we talk about the second chapter of Acts, everybody wants to get kind of caught up in the miracles, the signs and mm-hmm. wonders sure. sort of thing. And it was a day that was filled with signs and wonders and miracles because mm-hmm. the spirit. You know, he was bringing that about. I think, though, that we make a mistake if we look at that aspect of it and say that's what we're looking for in revival. That's what we're looking. You know, I think that that Correct. instead, what we need to look at, you know, what did Peter say? You know, what was what was his message? What was the what was the sermon that he preached? And what did those words provoke in those that were listening? Because in a way, that's really who we are today. We, you know, we're mm-hmm. kind of the, we're kind of the crowd. We're the audience for that. Yeah, especially um, as Presbyterians. Yeah. <laughs> well, now we did talk before we hit the record button. We did talk and agree that neither one of us are necessarily cessationists. Right. We still believe that means that we still believe that God moves. God still does miracles. Um, but one of the differences is when when Jesus commissions the apostles, He gives them the authority to 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 do the miraculous. And so Peter is walking around personally vested with authority from Jesus to do the miraculous. That has not happened to me. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I don't have authority to do the miraculous. Right. And so what I do is I pray to the Lord who has 100% control over the miraculous, and it's at his authority, not mine. So we still believe that the miraculous happens. It's just that we don't believe that people are personally vested with independent, autonomous, miraculous power. That belongs to the Lord. Right. The epistle of James tells us that if somebody's sick, that we're to call the elders and let them pray, and that mm-hmm. then that those prayers will can result in healing. Absolutely, um, you know, it, it doesn't say go find the guy in your congregation that's been given the authority to heal, drag him over here so that he can uh, that he can raise up the sick guy. Yeah, uh, if if we found one of those guys, we'd be able to shut down hospitals, wouldn't it? Be you know, and I'm just going to say something that that would be really amazing right now. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no um, kidding. It is it it's it is one of those moments in time where all the televangelists have some explaining to do. <laughs> I'm just going to say that they have some explaining to do. If they have the ability to just declare the disease gone and it's gone, I'm not sure why we're still having to stay behind masks. For some reason, they've decided to go on vacation for the coronavirus. Okay, so that we understand. So, um, so let's talk about the, uh, about Peter's sermon here. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the most remarkable thing to you about Peter's sermon? So we've talked about this before in the resurrection series that you know the 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 main main message that you see coming out of the early church particularly the very early church is less to do with the cross and way more to do with the resurrection and so when you follow the sermons of Peter and John you know when they're talking about Jesus they are laser focused on the power of the resurrection that you know God has defeated not only sin but that that has manifested itself in the fact that he has defeated death like that is the 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 point here and so you know Peter and what's crazy about this to me is I'm imagining Peter giving this sermon to the very people that he was running away from 50 days earlier and so like listen to to one of the excerpts from from Acts 2 this just cracks me up it's amazingly bold he says men of Israel hear these words 
Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. So in other words, he's saying, you saw this stuff. You saw what Jesus was able to do, the miraculous stuff that he's done. You know that there's something different about him. And then he goes on and he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So he wasn't forsaken. This was part of the plan. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, and God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so what's what's crazy is these people had seen stuff. They knew something had gone on with the resurrection. There was an empty tomb, all of this stuff, and Peter, who is running away from them, is now coming to the nation. I don't think he's speaking to individuals, but he's saying, you know, you crucified and killed the Messiah, and God has raised him up. God has overturned what you've done, and he has loosed the pangs of death. Death no longer has the final word over his people because death could not hold him. And then he closes out this section. He goes through the Old Testament with particular passages talking about how It was Jesus that the Old Testament talked about. He's the Messiah that we've been waiting for for centuries and centuries to come and and to be redemption for humankind. And he closes out this part of a sermon. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And, you know, one of the, I love that line. We'll get back to this in a minute, mm-hmm. the, you know, being cut to the heart. But one of the things I love about this is on the night that Jesus was crucified, Peter had one strategy of how he expected the kingdom of God to go. And so what does he do? He takes out his sword and he goes to swinging. And that didn't, that didn't end well for him. And now here, and this, you know, second instance, you've got Peter who's brandishing a different kind of sword. Um, in Ephesians, the word of God is called the sword of the spirit. And so here, Peter's brandishing the word of God. And what happens? It cuts them right to the heart. That language is intentional. The word of God cuts them right to the heart and it changes them. Instead of making them enemies of God, the word of God has penetrated to the heart and it's now making them friends of God. And that's I love that picture that we don't we don't come at those that are on the other side with a sword seeking to to slay them. We come with the word of God and we let the Holy Spirit do the work to transform them from enemies to friends. Why do you think that it was different this time? I mean, it, some of these things that Peter was saying were things mm-hmm. that had been said in, you know, to these people uh, on the on the other side of the cross, you know, back mm-hmm. when Jesus mm-hmm. was ministering, there were things like, hey, you know, this is the Messiah, this is the mm-hmm. Lord. Um, they rejected it then. There's a different outcome here. Now, do you feel like that was because the spirit was at work in these people or was there something that news had gotten around that Jesus really had risen from the dead? And uh, why why the change of heart, do you think? Well, I think the Spirit is moving, but Mm -hmm. the Spirit's using what has just happened to wake them up. I mean, here's here's a man. I mean, they believe the resurrection. Peter's not saying, wink, wink, trust me, this happened. He's calling him out. He said, God did these things. He did these miracles. He did the resurrection. In your midst, you yourselves know you saw it. You saw all the turmoil. You saw saw the eclipse. You saw the earthquake. You saw 
all these things that that accompanied the crucifixion and resurrection, mm-hmm. you saw it, and now you have to contend with the fact that God has overturned your evil and has raised him up and he's loosened the power of death and he's made him Lord and Christ, this one whom you've crucified, and they know it. <laughs> they, they believe that they are on the wrong side and that they, many of these people, very devout, very religious, they realize that they have just put to death the Lord of glory. Mm. And it's cut them to the heart. They are desperate to make good. They're desperate to figure out what can we do? What can we do to make this right? It's interesting, that word cut, you know, that's uh, the Greek word there for cut. I mean, we think of cut as the this idea of a, of a slice or whatever, mm-hmm. but the word actually means to pierce or stab, you know, so when we talk about it, cut them to the heart, I mean, it's like, it is like a laser beam. It's like, it, it's, a, it's a thing that penetrates. It's not something that's at the surface level. This was this genuine, these people felt this tremendous burden now. It's like, Lord, hey, brothers, tell us, what should we do? So that, I think, is the other thing that we can say about this, which is when the word of God has that effect on people, mm-hmm. that the response is going to be to say, what can we do? Yeah. You know, what do, what do we do now? You know? Yeah. I mean, and that, elsewhere in the scriptures, it says, for the word of God is living which is it's counterintuitive. Like the word of God is living; it moves in us. It, it evokes a response from us. It provokes us. It's active, it's, and it says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces. There's you know that idea again. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It's able to judge. Now hear that. It, it, it assigns a verb to the word of God. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Mm-hmm. And so here, when the word of God comes to you and you have to grapple with the truth that the Lord has laid in front of you, it's going to provoke, it's going to judge your thoughts and intentions. It's going to leave you in a place where if you're not in accord with it, you're either going to rebel against it and hate it with everything, or it's going to require you to beg, what do I do? What do I do? How do, how do I get in line? This is uncomfortable. It, it convicts. And so that's what's going on in the hearts of these people. They're feeling this conviction of the Spirit, and they, they need a remedy. What do we do? What, what do we do with this? So Peter's got an answer for him, right? What's he, He's, <laughs> what's, what's he tell them to do then? Well, Acts goes on. It says, and Peter said to him, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so these are the two things that we come. When the Spirit calls us, when the Spirit's moving and we feel that, what do you do? Well, you know, what do I do with this? Peter says, repent and be baptized. And those are two really important words in, in Christianity. I mean, when, when you open the New Testament, before Jesus has even come onto the scene, you've got John the Baptist, and what's he shouting everywhere? You know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And right. then when Jesus shows up, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now that Jesus has ascended and the church is beginning, the first call, again, is to repent. And it's like, okay, well, we, we hear repent, and we immediately, like our culture rolls our eyes because there's so, so much baggage associated with that word that makes you think of, you know, old school, repent, you know, you imagine yeah. again the, the guy with the 10-pound Bible waving it at you. But that, that word really simply means to turn around, mm-hmm. you know. A change and, of direction. Yeah, totally. It's a change of direction. And so when you come to the Lord, it's it's this realization that, man – 
when I'm in control, when I'm doing things my way, I find that I'm empty. I find that I usually am, am, you know, steering the car off into a ditch. I'm making a mess of my life. And repent is just, it's, it's just a way of, of saying, you know, you need to humble yourself and recognize that God's ways are better than your ways to turn away from the path that you're on and start walking toward a more beautiful path. That's what repent means. You know, I think repentance or repent is a, you know, just kind of like revival. It is a little bit of a religious word. It doesn't happen a lot out there in the world. If you're, if your children, for example, are heading off in the wrong direction, you don't holler out at your, you know, you don't go, Jacob, repent, repent and come back here. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, you would, you would say, turn around, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think it is one of those, you know, $2 church words again. Mm-hmm. And there's and it different, just feels judgy, it, it, you know? It does a little bit. Um, but, but it also, it, it's held up in different ways by different branches of the Christian faith. Uh, to have them saying, look, it's Jesus plus nothing, well, that doesn't necessarily mean nothing happens. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. just, it's just Jesus doesn't need my help is what we mean when we say Jesus plus nothing. Um, it's a change of direction, yeah. you know? Yeah, and and we would argue, you know, that that when you move into the Christian life, that it it's not your power that enables you to live a holy life. Like when nobody is arguing that when they said, you know, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I, you know, I would I would agree with that. But the the problem is is right now it's 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 Jesus and Sam, right? And I need to subtract the Sam, <laughs> you, know, the, you know. And that you know, one of the things when you're called to live a holy life, and and this isn't the greatest sales pitch for Christianity, but Jesus says it, and you'll find it multiple times. Like, take up your cross. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean when the when the Bible calls on you to be a living sacrifice? What does it mean when it talks about crucifying the flesh? It means that you know I'm coming with all of these self absorbed impulses that I know run contrary to the design that God has for me, and and they're clouding it up and they're making a mess of my life and a mess of the world around me. And so when it's take up your cross, it, what it means is you need to lay down your desires and chase after God's desires. And trust him. And so it is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so I have to put myself, my desires to death and let his desires animate me so that it's purely him. Right. And that's that's the process of repenting is saying, God, I've been living for me. It's been the Sam show. And look what it's gotten me. I want to be emptied out so that I can be a vessel that you can fill up with your love and your joy and your your power to live a life that's different than what I'm currently experiencing. I want I want something different. And so far it's been all about me. I want something different. I want it to be all about you. There's no point uh, that I can think of, no moment that I can think of where the message of the gospel in the New Testament was, okay, believe and you're saved and now – don't change anything about yourself. You know, it's like, <laughs> you no, know, the, it was, nope. it was, it was always, you're going to live differently now. Yeah. You know, that and doesn't Jesus, con- Jesus tells his father, like, it's going to be uncomfortable at times. There's going to be parts of this that are unpleasant. It's not, it's not a come to Jesus and you get to do whatever you want. 
Right. <laughs> you know, it's no. It's come to Jesus, and then you're going to live differently. And 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 I want to be clear because we're not saying that the that the living differently is is contributing in any way to your salvation. Your salvation is entirely because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Right. It's a, you know, salvation is through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. It's you know, it, it, we're not contributing anything to that. So repentance is something that when you know when Peter says, "Hey, repent." He's not just saying, think differently. Um, you know, he's expecting that this repentance is going to be something that's profound in his audience. Mm-hmm. And, and that idea of, of what we've just talked about with repentance, and it says, you know, to repent and be baptized in the name of, of Jesus Christ, those, those ideas are not a change of subject. You know, it's not like, okay, stage one and then something totally different. The, what, when you get baptized, you know, when we think of it, we kind of simplify it to like, you know, it's, it's a religious ceremony where you get wet, you know. <laughs> but, but really, there's something tremendously powerful in the picture of baptism that we are to understand. And Paul lays this out in Romans. I almost feel bad quoting Romans. I feel like I should defer this to you or something. Okay. <laughs> this is your book. But in Romans, in chapter 6, verse 3, so Paul comes and he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, which is what we're called to by Peter here in this passage, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so when he says, you know, you, you should repent, turn around, and be baptized. When you're baptized, what are you celebrating? You're celebrating a death to your former ways. That's the way that the Bible describes it. It's like imagine imagine the waters as the grave. And this is this might offend my Presbyterian brothers, but imagine the waters who believe in sprinkling. By the way, yes. But but the waters when you go under it, it's a picture of your burial. Like you've died to your old ways. And when you come out, you are the idea is you're inhabited by the resurrection power of God that makes all things new in you. And now you're called to live a new life. So it's it's the it's the picture that fulfills what repentance is all about. You're dying to the old things, and you're living empowered by Christ to a brand new life. Yeah, and you're not going to experience repentance that a uh, separate from faith. You know, I mean, the, the fact is that if I don't believe that who Jesus is, if I don't believe that the word of God is true, if I don't if I don't believe these things, then I'm not going to repent. So when mm-hmm. Peter says, repent and be baptized, you know, he's talking to people. He's really saying, believe this. You know, this is you know, this is a call to their faith. Now, the the baptism there at that moment, I mean, he's not necessarily telling them. I want you to immediately run over and jump in the nearest pool, um, <laughs> you know. But that's but that's symbolic. That that water baptism is symbolic of the spiritual baptism that takes place, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that it's not because again, I don't want to, you know. This is this is one of those moments of great salvation preaching here, and I don't want to necessarily say to people that what well, not necessarily. I don't want to say to people that we're that if you're not baptized in water then you're not saved uh, because that's not true at all. Um, You think of the thief on the cross. You know, he doesn't peel himself off the cross to go get baptized before Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then jump back (laughs) up on the cross because he thinks this paradise thing sounds like a good idea. 
But you know, there's also the idea when we talk about repentance. The in Second Corinthians again, this is Paul um, when he's it's chapter seven, verse ten. When he's talking about what repentance looks like, he says, "Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. It doesn't weigh you down with guilt." But the worldly sorrow brings death, and you know it's it's the difference between Peter and Judas. Both of them deny Jesus. Both of them feel guilt. Both of them feel regret. But Peter experiences a godly sorrow that repents, that runs to Jesus and leads to salvation. And he's not weighed down by what he's done. But worldly sorrow is, I've been caught. It's all about me. Look how bad things are for me. And it will lead you down the Judas path, which isn't a pleasant one, where he takes his own life because he sees no hope. You know, godly sorrow, real repentance isn't just, oh, I'm such a horrible person. Look at look at me, you know, poor me, I'm I'm so bad. No, true repentance is recognizing, yes, you've done some things wrong, but it's throwing yourself upon the beautiful kindness and mercy of God that leads you to new life and new beginnings, and his mercies are new every morning. And so that, you know, that is the kind of repentance. It's a godly sorrow that's hopeful to change for the better. Now, also, when he says that um, that they're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, um, I mean, the Holy Spirit was obviously already moving in these mm-hmm. people, or they wouldn't have—they wouldn't be responding to the to the call to repent. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's like so the Spirit of God was already was already active in them. But I do think that when you say that you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, you're essentially saying that I'm willing to to reorient myself, or to allow God to reorient me, or change my priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, to try to separate those things sometimes to say, okay, well, I don't even want to talk to you about a willingness for any of this stuff. It, it leads to a type of, of, uh, of faith that's not, it's not faith. You know, it's kind of like this, it's this kind of odd intellectual assent to a, a group of facts. It's like the difference between, it's the difference between knowing that a chair can hold you up and, and, sitting down in the chair you know so there's a difference between having the knowledge of a thing that's like i can you know there were there are people who know in the new testament we hear them describe people that that they know who jesus was they they recognized who jesus was and yet there was something different about their knowledge of who jesus was and this this faith that leads to repentance this faith that leads to to being baptized and receiving the holy spirit and whatnot so there is um there's something more to it than just mm-hmm. a simple assent to a group of, of, of facts. It's not just all in your head. Mm-hmm. It animates you. I, I, I keep mm-hmm. using that word because I think it's a good word. You know, the Spirit comes in, and He is going to take all of the ways that God has made you unique and individual, and He is going to allow all the fruit of the Spirit, the, the conformity to Jesus and His beauty, shine through you. You know, in Acts, one of, another one of the passages that I think is fascinating is you've got a couple of the apostles, and they go around the religious leaders. And this is long after Jesus has, has ascended into heaven. He's, mm-hmm. he's no longer here on earth. But these religious leaders say, we can, we can tell that they have been with Jesus. You know, it's like they just – they know <laughs> that they've been with Jesus. And it's like, what does that mean? Well, 
they've experienced the power of the Spirit. They're still in communion with Jesus, even though he isn't physically present with him, and they're able to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit, which enables them to abide in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Peter has, has preached this message. He's, he's issued this call, and, and the Spirit has moved on these people, and they have repented. You know, they, They've made that decision. There should be something then that happens in their lives following this. So what happened mm-hmm. in this crowd? So so they're going to be radically changed. But one of the things, this little brief little section of text here that I love is before Peter gets done talking, he says, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And then he says, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Mm. And what I love about that is at Pentecost, you have Jews from every nation under heaven, and Gentiles, by the way, who are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, which is one of three feasts in the Old Testament where you were commanded to come back to Jerusalem for these feasts. And so you got people from all over the world, which it spells out in Acts 2, all these different nations and places where they've come. And what Peter is saying is this is not just a local deal anymore. This isn't just for Israel, like not just geographically, but even time, like those that are far off, those that have been considered the outcast, you, your children, but it's it's going to go to the ends of the earth, and God's mercy and grace is going to extend to everyone. And so at that, they, the people who respond you know, to the sermon and to the cutting of their heart here it says those who received his word were baptized and they were added there were added that day about 3000 souls and so if you go to Jerusalem still to this day you see what are called mikvahs which are little ceremonial baths that they used to do during the ceremonies and mm-hmm. feasts mm-hmm. little pools little tiny tubs that are all over the stairs going up to Jerusalem and so you'd have had these mikvahs where Peter and and the others would have been baptizing and they had 3000 baptisms at that day. So the church grew leaps and bounds in one day to, to have 3,000 more people. That's a, just, lot of, that's a lot of baptisms. Yeah, uh, that would be a good <laughs> <laughs> uh, You know, there were only like 12 apostles there. There must have been some other people splashing yeah, so, water around. Yeah, they're, they're not the only believers. I think okay. there was, we know of at least 120 believers at that time. I'm, I'm just saying, um, they're, they're, they're going to need some help. <laughs> 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 to get 3,000 people baptized before right. the end of the church service, they're going to need some help. All right, on three, dunk. Yes. <laughs> on three, dunk. <laughs> yeah. He's got the assembly line going. And so he promises that out of this, you know, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And so after this, we're told what life looks like in the early church. Okay, so the Spirit comes, they've they've repented, they've been baptized, now the Spirit comes and is dwelling in them. What does it look like? And you get to these really uh, famous passages uh, at the end of Acts 2 where it describes what their life is like. And it says they devoted, which is such a uh, – that's that's a word that we go past, right? But they devoted. Like they set this apart. This became their number one priority, their devotion to God and what it took to follow after God. Now crowded out all the other stuff in their life. You know, there, there weren't higher priorities. They made a commitment here. And it says they devoted themselves to, to four things that it lists out. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what is that? I mean, 
pretty simply, it's it's the Word. It's the right. study of the Word. You know, they, they hadn't written the New Testament. None of the Gospels are written. And so when the apostles are inter- – you know, because they're bringing out the Old Testament and they're showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of every bit of the Scriptures that they had, and in doing so and telling the stories of Jesus, you know, they're, they're sharing the Gospels, the Gospel stories. They're formulating all these wonderful Christian New Testament doctrines that we're going to see. So it's studying the Word. Then two, it says, and the fellowship. So they're doing everything together, um, which is another hallmark of the Christian faith. It's, it get, we've talked about this before, but for the person who says, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in going to church. It's kind of a personal thing. I just do it by myself. Right. That's totally foreign. This <laughs> totally foreign to the scriptures. Right. Like there is, there's a fellowship to it. You're you're in one body with many members. It's it's this beautiful thing, and the whole idea of Pentecost, which is this festival um, that happens 50 days after Passover, what happens at Pentecost that's amazing, the whole gift of tongues, is it's reversing what happened at the Tower of Babel where humanity had gotten so wicked that they were cursed and they no longer could understand one another and they split apart. At, at Pentecost, you get this miracle of everybody from foreign nations speaking foreign tongues who are able to understand one another, and there's unity. There's, there's an understanding. The gospel is bringing all the nations together in this unity. There's a message in that for us, by the way. And that's the idea of fellowship, everybody coming together in the gospel as one body. Um, we, we should make clear Christianity is a team sport. <laughs> that is correct. It is a I team sport. You know? I just don't know how you can do it on your own. Like I, think, I just, I'm too weak. I'll fall. I'll fall by the wayside in my own <laughs> self despair. And I need someone who's gonna, you know, call me out of that and encourage me and point me to the truth. And I, there's too, it's too rich to yeah. pass by. Well, and I, I think that I mean, I, I think I understand the people that say, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a big fan of church. Only saying that. Um, you know, and let's be honest that the church doesn't always have the best track record. I mean, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, you know, the church is, it's, it's God's church, but it's been run by men and men make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, I can understand what they're saying, but the fact of the matter is that, like you say, th- there's nothing about that that has any connection back to the word of God or this, because we're all told plainly that we're not to, we're not to dispense with the assembling of ourselves together we don't you know that we're definitely being called to do that so and i think also there's this idea of the idea in fellowship of partnership i you know we're told to bear one another's burdens that you know i help carry you you help carry me um because the fact is that not all of us are going to be having a good day at the same time and not all of us are going to be having a bad day at the same time and so when you've got that kind of partnership um you have people to help you over those rough spots yeah, and that's that's the idea that Peter and his epistle that comes later, you know, when he talks about us being uh, the universal priesthood, we're a royal priesthood. Mm-hmm. That means that we are, you know, mediators for one another. You know, in some sense, we're pointing each other to the Lord. You know, always encouraging one another, and you know, the church has. I've had seasons in my life where, just like you're talking about. Where you think, good grief, the church is a train wreck. Um, well, yeah, that's because it's it's made up of of people like me, right? <laughs> you know, um, who who do dumb things. But it's one of the places where, when the church is doing what it's supposed to be doing, 
if we're loving people like Jesus has loved us, it means that we can see all your mess and not be surprised by it. Right. You know, that there's grace for you. And when you experience uh, the freedom to be known, to not have to put on a mask, like if, if you're in a church where you feel like you've got to put on the mask and be good enough and, and meet everyone else's expectations, that's religion. That's slavery. A gospel-driven church recognizes that everyone in there is a train wreck of and need of grace. Right. And and so because I know how much I've been forgiven, because I know what a, a, a dirtbag I can be, it gives me a great deal of patience and forgiveness for everyone around me. And it's a, it's like a hospital, you know. It's it's where people are going to get treatment, and where you don't have to hide. It's 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 really wonderful when it's when it's doing what it's supposed to do. Right. So after fellowship, then it says to the breaking of bread. Mm-hmm. How is that different? I mean, that's being differentiated from fellowship. I think sometimes people hear the word fellowship and they imagine the potluck dinner in the church fellowship hall. Um, they, <laughs> they, all, I mean, we they always do. revert to eating. They do, but <laughs> and, and the eating is here. It says to the breaking of bread, but it, yeah. it does, but that is that's kind of that is a distinct thing from what we're talking about with fellowship. That that fellowship has much more does have much more of a spiritual connotation mm-hmm. of it, and the breaking of bread. To me, I've always understood that to you know, be social. If that's just, yeah, that's a social component. Yeah, just to go back to the fellowship when you said there, you know, that we we that tends to be a spiritual word. The the funny thing about that is the word fellowship in the Greek is koinonia. It's where it's the where we get the idea of the Greek Bible. It's common. It's almost vulgar. It's it's ordinary, mm-hmm. and that's the root of that word fellowship. And so what it means, like you're doing everything together. It's not fellowship does not mean that you're coming together. You know, doing all the religious ritualistic stuff. It's the idea that I'm glad you are, for that personally. I don't think that would be a big, big plus <laughs> in my life. Yeah, but it's like you're arm in arm in the common. You're in, you're together in the ordinary. You're doing life, and all the messiness of it is the idea. And it uses that word with the root koinos, which which means like vulgar, common, mm-hmm. ordinary. And and so that's not when you hear fellowship. The root of that in the scripture is not this you know highfalutin whatever. It's it means you're getting dirty together. Um, you're in the ordinary. And so then the breaking of bread is this communal. It, it, the idea is you're doing things together, you're eating together, you're doing communion together, you're remembering the Lord together. Um, and that's your Well, now, do you think this is talking provision? Specific? Is this talking about just the Lord's Supper and communion? No, or no, this is talking no, no, about no. more than that, right? Okay. Yeah, no, right. this means this is you're feasting together. Right. You know, you're providing for each other's needs, you're coming together. Celebratory in some sense to to do life together, mm-hmm. but I think it does also, and I think insinuate it insinuate communion as sure, well. Sure, I mean the idea to use the phrase "breaking of bread." I think is definitely to be is definitely to be uh, meaningful in that respect. But mm-hmm. some people will some people will look at church as being well. Why do you go to church? Well, I go to church because I want to be part of my neighborhood or because I want to be part of my city. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good social reasons to to belong to a church, but that's the I don't know the icing on the cake. That's the also part of it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. if you if you, you come to church to 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 hear the word, to be involved with the fellowship, to you know to be involved with the body of Christ, and then part of that is that you then discover this this tribe with whom you have one huge mm-hmm. thing in com- common. Because you know, frankly, there's a lot of people at church that are just from different. You know, they're just, we're just a lot different. You know, there's a mm-hmm. um, there's some people that are old, stuck in their way 
you know, nerds like me, they're a bit of an obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and yet I get along with, <laughs> I can get along with my, you know, hippie friends at church. Um, totally. You know, because you have that in, you have that faith in common. So this breaking mm-hmm. of bread, I think is, it's yeah. that communalism. It's like we're coming it's, together and we're saying we have a platform to stand on together in our common faith that can, that brings us together despite of all, all of our differences. Mm-hmm. And, and that, and especially in the first century, we've lost some of this lately even though there's still some left. In the first century, if you ate with somebody, it was saying, I want to be your friend. I want okay. to be associated with you. So like if you remember the story of Zacchaeus when when he's when Jesus is going through the town and there's this tax collector named Zacchaeus who everybody in the town hates because right. he's ripping them off. When when Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus, what does he say? He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to eat with you. Um and it sends the town going, what? You know, mm-hmm. here's Jesus, this holy man who wants to associate himself in the breaking of bread with Zacchaeus. Anytime that in the ancient world, like you, that was a sign of of real um, community. Like you, you affiliated with them. And so when you break bread together, you're saying there's a union with us. Now, we've lost some of that today. Like I can have a meal with just about anybody. Right. <laughs> but – that's what it means. It's so, intentionally coming together to identify with one another. Yeah, hospitality was kind of a big thing back then too, huge, right? I mean, it was like a, it was like a rule, like you were supposed to be hospitable. That was like a requirement on you. Right. So you're supposed to offer, but then for somebody to accept, that was also huge. You know, mm-hmm. they're like you say, they're they're kind of linking their wagon to your train. There, they're saying, okay, I'm going to come in and eat with you. I yeah, make sure a, I remember, I'm remembering the verse, but uh, you know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody answers right, then he's going to come in and and mm-hmm. doesn't he say he's going to come in and eat with us or something? I yeah, sup with you and sup yeah, with you and you right. with me. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's the that's how Jesus describes it in Revelation. Yeah. So that's you know that's a big thing. <laughs> um, even still to this day, if you go over into to Middle Eastern countries, like it's different, and you have to know this going over there that when someone offers you food. You know, in the in the U.S., you can say no, no thanks, no thanks. But if you say it over there, there really is some sense of a, you know, it's it's almost offensive. You've You're heard their feelings, yeah. yeah. You've heard their feelings, like when they when someone offers to break bread with you. To say no thanks, <laughs> you know, you're you're saying I'd rather not with you. You know. Um, Looking, looking at myself in the mirror, it's hard to believe I've ever passed a meal up from anybody. You know, <laughs> hey, I can go there with you. I can go like, there with you. Another We're taco, really yes, good. indeed. I'll take another taco. <laughs> you know? We are really good at this breaking bread thing, Mark. We, we are very. We have. <laughs> I have a black belt in bread breaking. You know. This, uh, this is our strongest of the four, I think. It is. Um, and, and then the fourth one is, and the prayers. Now, yeah. um, you know, me with my random weird nerdity. And the, do you think there's anything? Um, that there's an article there, the mm-hmm. prayers. Is there anything to that? Is, are they talking yeah. about specific prayers, or what are they talking about there? Yes. So, so we don't know if they were unique to Christianity, if they were continuing some of the prayers of the Old Testament that they had already at tradition back then. But this is no question. This is a formal deal. So okay. it's not just, hey, we're going to get together, and hey, you got anything you want prayer for? It's not that, where it's just really light. Though I'm sure that was part of it. This is a, a formal prayer. Like, okay. this is a formal time of prayer. So basically what they're talking about here is a church service with a potluck dinner afterwards. You know, I mean, it's like well, you have the teaching and the fellowship, and then there's the prayers, you know, there's, which, again, sounds like a, you know, it's very definitely a group activity, and then the breaking of the bread. This, mm-hmm. we're describing 
body life in the church here. If you remember a long time ago now, we did a we did a series on spiritual disciplines. And sure. and these are in a sense spiritual disciplines. It's studying the word together, it's it's doing community together, it's it's that 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 communal bonding of breaking of bread, it's mm-hmm. prayer life, it's it's building all of these things into your life and uh, you know one of the things that I love is okay. So they do these things. They're devoted to the study of the word. They're they're committed to doing life together. They're breaking bread together, and they're coming together in prayer. And the next sentence is, "And awe, awe, a w e huh. came upon every soul." And so it's like one of the questions that we want to ask is, okay, does all come on your soul? And therefore, then you do the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers because the way the Acts is laying it out here is, no, 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 you do the spiritual disciplines here. You, you're devoting yourself to teaching. You're devoting yourself to the fellowship. You're devoting yourself to the breaking of the bread and, and coming together in times of prayer. And if you're diligent to do that, if you're devoted to that, guess what's going to come? The more and more you devote yourself to seeing God and those different things – awe will come on every soul because mm-hmm. y- you'll see him for who he is. You'll see more of his majesty, and then awe comes. And it says many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. There it is again. They've right. been commissioned to do those things. Yeah. And all who believed were together. So this is the idea, like this unbreakable bond. You know, what what happens to one of us happens to all of us. If you're suffering, I'm suffering. If I have plenty and you lack, then I, you've, you've got it. You've, you can have mine. And it says, all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, which is incredible. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a commune. I mean, no, you, no, 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 no. It, they're not saying that, it, for example, it doesn't say, and they sold everything they had and <laughs> contributed it to the, what they're, I think what's being said here is essentially hold on to things with a light grasp. They were saying that they were willing to take care of each other's needs. If somebody had a, if somebody had a need, they didn't have to look outside of the church to have that need met. Yeah, and yeah, totally. And I, I think they, it comes with this perspective that all of this belongs to God, and I want God to use it however right. He deems fit. And right. so it's it's like you said, loose grip. Um, and that the, the early church was known for this kind of an ethic. There's this. There's an excerpt, uh, there was a Roman satirist named Lucian, and he wrote The Death of Pellegrinus, and in this, he, he's describing the early Christians, and it's, it's a decent-sized quote, but I love the part at the end for this, because you see, like, this wasn't just at Pentecost, like, this endured into the early church for, mm-hmm. you know, more than a century. But he says, these Christians, you know, they worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. Now, he's not a fan of Christians. He goes on. He says, these misguided creatures start with the general <laughs> conviction that they're immortal for all time. So, so get this. He's saying they start with this idea that there's a resurrection, that death has no hold on them, that they're immortal for all time. And because of that, it was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers from the moment that they're converted and deny the gods of Greece and worship the crucified sage and live after his laws. And now listen to this. All this they take quite on faith with the result 
that they despise all worldly goods alike, regarding them merely as common property. So here you have you know somebody who's writing more than a century after this Pentecost, and he's saying, still to this days, how do you how do you know Christians? They're obsessed with this belief that death has no hold on them, that they're immortal for all time, and therefore they they don't have a death grip on their possessions here because they know there's an inheritance to come. And so what do they do? They use their wealth to bless their brothers, to bless those around them. They they despise the idea of treating this world's stuff like it's our treasure because they have a far greater treasure to come. And that's the ethic that comes out of Pentecost. It's this, it's this focus on the resurrection. And if you genuinely believe that your expiration date is not death, it changes the way you live. Mm-hmm. It, it absolutely changes the way you live. I, I used this illustration this week in a, in a study with Rio Women's Bible study. And I said, you know, suppose I looked at a – pointed you at a brick wall and I said, I want you to run as fast as you can and I want you to run through that wall. And you'd look at me like I was crazy. And as you're running, if you even attempted, as you're running toward that wall, as you're getting closer, you're going to stop. You're going to you're going to flinch. You're going to contract your body. You're going to brace for impact. It's going to change the way you do everything. And that's how we go through this life. But if now I showed you that that brick wall was merely this razor thin paper mache wall that you're going to run through with no consequence it's going to change the way you run on this side of it you're going to know mm-hmm. that you know right on the other side of that That's you've good. got an inheritance it's going to change the way yeah. you live if you don't believe that death is the final obstacle that takes everything away from you and that's what, you know, I love Lu- that Lucian says this. He's like, they start with this idea that there's a resurrection, that death isn't going to take everything away from them. And therefore, they have no problem sharing all of their stuff. Yeah. And and that was the heart of the early church, which is really awesome. I was laughing earlier just at the fact that Lucian was regarding me as a poor, misguided creature. <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, I have the pity of the Roman historian. Okay, all right. These poor, misguided creatures. Yeah. I nice. mean, and we nice. saw what happened yeah. to the to the Roman Empire versus this Christian kingdom. So, um, so a pretty rem- yeah, I mean, a pretty remarkable thing, but not. I mean, I've heard at times people have said, "Well, you know, that first century church, you know, they they all, you know, they they lived in like a communal. It was like communism or something no. like that." I'm like, no 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 no, 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 it wasn't that at all. It you know because for example, verse 44 says they had all things in common, and yet in verse 45. It says, and they were selling their possessions. So obviously, they still owned their own stuff. Mm-hmm. So this isn't like a anti-capitalism yeah. or personal property, but it is, like you say, a very definite statement that they all recognized that this stuff was just here for them to be able to use it for the benefit of each other mm-hmm. for this short time that they're in this life. You know that yeah. this is not stuff they're going to take with them, and they really don't even care about it while it's here. Yeah. yeah. I, and that's a that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. But you know, I've I've heard that same thing where people say, "Oh, clearly Christianity's teaching socialism." And <laughs> no, that's just no. not the case. Yeah, no, not yeah, at all. You know, it's teaching you generosity. That. Let's just say it's teaching Correct. being generosity, yes. Correct. But it recognizes that if you're if you're totally self-absorbed as a capitalist and you have no regard for justice or the poor, that that is that's wicked. The problem with Ananias and Sapphira was that they lied. You know, it, it wasn't that they didn't sell everything or that they held back some of the money. It's because they it was that they lied. Yeah. You know, that was the that was the point of that. So 
our picture here of this revival that took place in the day of Pentecost, we see that they, you know, they devoted themselves to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking mm-hmm. of the bread, the prayers, that, that awe came upon them. And as a result of that, that we had this generous church that took care of each other. But it doesn't even stop there because it goes on then and says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The first thing that catches my eye, Sam, in those last two verses was the fact that he the, yeah, he says it coming in and going out. He says day by day. Mm-hmm. This idea that revival is to be that they lived in this state of revival, if you will. Mm-hmm. They lived in this this. You know, this spirit thing that had happened to them, that had changed their lives and changed the way they lived, that this was this was now how their day-to-day lives were going to be. So mm-hmm. the other thing that we're shooting down with this, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to our conversation about revival, is that church isn't just something that happens on Sunday. Totally. Like, this is day by day. Like... Like I said before, it crowds out everything. Mm-hmm. And and the interesting, it says, and day by day attending the temple. Uh, the Greek word there, pros, proskaterio, mm-hmm. is the same exact word that was used for devoted. It's the same exact Greek word. So it's like day by day devoting at the temple together, breaking bread. It's repeating the same four things. You're going to the temple for what? For the apostles' teaching, to learn more about the scriptures. And you're doing that together, which is fellowship. And you're breaking bread in the homes. There it is again. And instead of prayers, it's now praising God. And so those same elements come in the first part and and then the second part where it's it's repeating it, and instead of it, you know, and all came upon every soul. And now you hear they were having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In other words, because they were living in a way where the Lord was the most important thing in their life every day. It wasn't just waiting for Wednesdays and Sundays. It was their it was their all-consuming passion every day they woke up was to draw near to the Lord, to do His will, to love each other, to seek His face. And day by day, God added to their number those who, was, who were being saved. Mm-hmm. And so the idea, you know, they, they chased after the Lord every day, and every day the Lord blessed their efforts and grew his kingdom uh, to, to much joy mm-hmm. and, and awe and favor. It, it was just this beautiful thing, but it came with a daily devotional life. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just me, Sam, and my natural desire to avoid anything that sounds like I have to work up a certain set of emotion <laughs> that can be a part of what's going right. on. But I appreciate the fact that that this comes to me and says, all right, here's where you begin every day in the word, in fellowship, in prayer, in being together in a community. This is what you do every day. You make that your daily practice and there and awe will come upon you, you know, that you'll experience that sense of awe. Um, So I don't have to sit around and wait for that emotional jolt to to hit me. Yeah, and at the risk of getting in the business of people who are listening, you know, it's easy to listen to a message like this and to go, okay, yeah, that's interesting intellectually, but I I want you to stop and think, okay, where do you, where are you fed by the Word? Where are you studying the Word? Where are you getting this fellowship and this breaking of bread where's where is your prayer life 
because it's like, you know, you and I both, everybody who's listening to this wants that awe to come on us. We yes. want, we want to feel close to God. We want to see him magnified. We want to feel, to steal your word, we want to feel all these things. But if we're not putting in these, these practices whereby we can see him and the word and in community and in prayer, you know, then it's like we've cut off the, the lifeline by which God moves and shows himself to us. And so if we're serious about wanting to, to be awed by God, we got to get serious about chasing after the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's, that's good. Um, that may even be a good note to end on. <laughs> because ultimately, um, in our pursuit of revival, it's that that will give you that deep satisfaction, that sense of wonder. If, if it's like, I just don't really feel it around church. I'm like, well, that may not be the church's fault. You know, if, if you're not <laughs> yeah. feeling it, if you're kind of like, you know, church just kind of leaves me cold. This whole Christian thing just leaves me a little cold. Um, well, what you've got here is a pretty good list of things that you can look at and say, where am I on all of these? And and maybe what you then have is the answer as to why it is you're not feeling it. Yeah. No. You know, I, I've heard lots of people over the years talk about how, you know, the church, one of the church's problems is we come to church with a consumer attitude. We're coming to receive. And if you have this as your mindset where you've been studying and seeking him all week and you're you're doing life with other believers and you're praying and praising God on your own day by day, when you come on Sunday, it's not, you know, hoping to receive something. You're coming with this abundance of adoration that you're eager to give and mm. to lay down. And that changes your worship experience. When you're not a consumer, but you're a worshiper, it makes Sunday morning Lord's Day worship really precious and profound. Well, we'll let that stand as our last word on the subject of revival from Acts chapter 2. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed your time with us, that this message has been profitable for you. Um, we do encourage you to correspond with us. If you've got, uh, if something that you've heard, Sam, or or even myself, if the big German idiot made an impact somewhere, if there's something that you want hey, we, to tell we've us. We've got two German two, idiots. Two German idiots. Okay, that is true. We've got a Lautenschläger and a Kastensmith. Um So if you'd like to correspond with us, by all means, we've got an email address for you. That email address is out of water at riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O-Vistachurch.com. Uh, we would look forward to hearing from you. Any question, comment, something you'd like to hear us take up and talk about on the show, we'd, be, we'd really love to, to hear from you. Uh, also invite you to uh, keep up with all the back episodes of Out of Water. You can find those at our website at riovistachurch.com slash water. Or you can get Out of Water on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Play, wherever fine podcasts are found. Hopefully, you'll be picking up Out of Water from there, too. So we'll be back with another show next week, and we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us, and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash out of water.